totally did. All that show prep. It's gone. Well, it's not gone. It's just over there in a whole big stack. But probably won't be able to get to again today. Thanks a lot, Supreme Court. Hey, welcome to the show. Pete Callender here, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. One of the reasons... Uh, well, let me say it this way. I look forward to the day when these rulings don't require all of our attention for the better part of a month, you know? I look I look forward to those days. And I think we're going to I think we are approaching that as a new normal. Why? Well, based on a ruling that came down earlier today, I think this has potential to I don't know. Make Congress do their jobs. Make the Congress members do what they were sent to do, which is to make law and not to offload it to somebody else. That's what the ruling today, to me, is all about. Have I read the ruling? I have not. Have I read people's reactions to the ruling? Yes, I have. And as you might expect, the defenders of democracy have so little faith in democracy and the mechanisms for democracy that are laid out in our Constitution, our, our rule book, right, the playbook, this is how you go about doing democracy. They have so little confidence in the mechanism that you would think that the Supreme Court just abolished America. It's ridiculous. What it also shows me is how profoundly ignorant A lot of people on the left and in the media, but I repeat myself, how ignorant they are of the conservative view on federalism and on the constitutional duties of the different branches of government. This is pretty elemental stuff. It really is. It's foundational. In fact, it's all written down. You can read all about it in the Constitution. Or if you want, just, you know, Go uh, watch that Schoolhouse Rocks uh, video of how a bill becomes a law. That thing? Yeah. I'm just a bill. That guy. Yeah, watch his little video. Not the Saturday Night Live one. That's a, that's a spoof. That's a parody about the corruption of the process. It was during Obamacare. So, yes, my show prep got blown up, but I will dutifully soldier on. Now, if you want to weigh in on this, 704 704- 5701110 and 1-800-WBT1110. The email is Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. And of course, you can follow me on the Twitter machine at Pete Callender. Uh, and uh, remember, get the podcast at WBT.com or thepetecallendershow.com. So let me back up because, see, this I had the show prep. I had this article from Politico in the stack of stuff. And it's been in the stack of stuff since June 14th. And I just haven't gotten to it because this is what happens. I have I have the story. I'm like, this is a good story. This is some good information. It's going to be a good topic. And then Supreme Court just keeps putting out all of these other rulings. And you're talking about guns and then about abortion and all this other stuff. And then I never get to it, but I'm going to get to it right now. But it sounds a little dated because it's it's previewing several of the cases of which one is West Virginia 
versus Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, which just came down. This is the one that has got the left just hitting the fainting couches, just in complete outrage. Have they thought, oh, hang on a second. Have you guys, have you guys thought about dressing up as female body parts and protesting over this? I heard it works. I heard that's a really good, yeah, it's a really good tactic. You should try it. Okay, so the Supreme Court's expected overturning of Roe v. Wade. See, so this was before Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs case came down. Um, that's gotten all the attention, but the court could well lay the groundwork for even larger changes in American governance. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. People on the right have been very, very consistent about this, that the federal executive agencies should not be writing law, which they have kind of taken to doing because Congress has let them do it. See, a lot of people in Congress found out several years ago, I mean, within sort of like the last, I would say, probably 20, they found out that they don't actually have to do anything while they're up in Congress for the few days that they are there. They don't have to do anything. They can just write some sort of a law that's really nebulous, sweeping in nature, and then just offload the actual lawmaking, or as they call it, rulemaking. You offload all of that to these agencies who then get to write all sorts of onerous laws and nobody's held accountable for that because it's a federal bureaucracy. This is why I'm a limited government guy. This is why I believe in government, the best government. I mean, I don't believe, okay, government is like fire. It is like a necessary evil, but it is, government is necessary, but it can get out of control very quickly, right? Like fire, it is a useful servant, but a fearful master. So I recognize, like, I'm not an anarchist. I'm not so far down a libertarian path that I, uh, that, that I'm like, no government, complete voluntarism. No, I'm not down that path. I recognize the value of government. But if you think of um, the political spectrum, instead of, you know, liberal Democrat and conservative Republican, if you think in different terms, go on one side and write tyranny and go on the other side and write anarchy. That's a better guide. And the founders wanted us to be as close to the anarchy side without being actually anarchy, right? Limited government, government closest to the people is the government that governs best because they're more responsive. I, I, I frequently use this as, a, um, as an example. That's the grocery store example, which is, are you more or less likely to run into the president of the United States while you are shopping for your groceries? Are you more or less likely to run into um, your U.S. senator while shopping? How about your congressperson? How about, though, your governor? Or better yet, how about your state lawmaker? How about your county commissioner, your city council member? See the point, right? Like you are at the grocery store, you are way more likely to bump into your city council representative. Unless, of course, you are in the unincorporated area of uh, Mecklenburg County, in which case then you have no city council representative, but they still decide all of your uh, zoning issues. Anyway, I digress. Uh, I, that's, I'm just pointing out a truism. There's no personal issue here going on whatsoever along those lines, maybe. Okay, so Chief Justice John Roberts giveth 
and Chief Justice John Roberts taketh away. So writes Ed Morrissey at HotAir.com. We'll get into that more in detail. In this case, West Virginia versus EPA up next. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show. Welcome. Thanks for letting me be a part of your day. I appreciate it. So uh, the case that the Supreme Court issued its opinion in this morning, West Virginia versus EPA, uh, just came down. And uh, Ed Morrissey writing, Chief Justice John Roberts giveth and Chief Justice John Roberts taketh away. The Supreme Court delivered its final two opinions of this term, both authored by Roberts, which turned into a split for Joe Biden overall. In a surprise, the court freed Joe Biden from the injunction that forced him to enforce the Trump era remain in Mexico. Right? The policy. That was Biden v. Texas. That was a 5-4 split. Roberts and Kavanaugh joining the... uh, the Democratic appointments, the libs. First, and likely more importantly in terms of policy, Roberts led a 6-3 to three decision in West Virginia versus EPA that has significant repercussions for agency jurisdiction. The court ruled that the EPA could not use the Clean Air Act to regulate carbon emissions without a more specific grant of that authority From Congress. That's what the ruling is about. You can't just reinterpret congressionally passed law to go beyond what Congress wrote in the law. Let me see here. Let me scroll down. This is from the New York Times. The ruling appeared to curtail the agency's ability to regulate the energy sector, limiting it to measures like emission controls at individual power plants. And, here's the key phrase, unless Congress acts, ruling out more ambitious approaches like a cap-and-trade system at a time when experts are issuing increasingly dire warnings about the quickening pace of global warming. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are we back to global warming? I thought we were just in... I thought we were just at climate change now. Didn't we... I mean, this is the New York Times. I got to believe they get the memo if they don't even, I think they write the memos, right? So why are we going back to the global warming language? I thought we went to climate change. And then actually, I thought there was another one after that, right? Wasn't it catastrophic climate change, right? We're weirding the weather. Remember that one? Anyway, the implications of the ruling could extend well beyond environmental policy and further signal that the court's newly expanded conservative majority is deeply skeptical of the power of administrative agencies to address major issues facing the nation and the planet. Yes, please. More. More of this. Yes, absolutely. The conservative majority is deeply skeptical. You know who else is deeply skeptical? Conservatives. Yeah, conservatives are deeply skeptical of the power of administrative agencies. You know why? Because they're bureaucratic. They're unaccountable. We don't elect them. That's not our system of government. Well, but that's the way we've been doing it for like the last few decades. Yeah, because you guys pushed us to be here. And we didn't want to be here. 
But now we are here, and so now we're going to roll it back. The New York Times notes that this draws a pretty clear line in the sand from this court about agency, jurisdiction, and authority. It also parallels the CDC eviction moratorium case. Remember that? Remember when the CDC tried to say that you can't evict people? They tried to just write law. You don't get to write law as a government agency. And they got smacked down for that. The court rebuked the CDC for overstepping its jurisdiction and authority. Right? Congress can enable via statute, via law. That's what Congress does. But you don't get to then reinterpret things to expand beyond the scope of what Congress wrote. If Congress wanted to expand the authority, then Congress has to, yeah, pass a law to expand that authority. John Roberts wrote that at the time of the moratorium case. He is consistent here, as are all of the other justices that uh, signed on to the 6-3 majority opinion. It wasn't just the regulation that crossed the line, but also its arbitrary nature. The EPA attempted to impose caps that didn't have any relation to the statute, nor to a rational and objective standard. He writes, John Roberts, he wrote the majority. He said, um, First, unlike Section 111, the acid rain and NAAQS programs contemplate trading systems, right? So this is the carbon trading systems, emissions trading systems, um, as a means to comply with an already established emissions limit set either directly by Congress, with acid rain, for example, or by reference to the safe concentration of the pollutant in the ambient air. In Section 111, by contrast, it's the EPA's job to come up with the cap itself, the numerical limit on emissions that states must apply to each source. Now, we doubt that Congress directed the agency to set an emissions cap at the level, quote, which reflects the degree of emission limitation achievable through the application of a cap-and-trade system. Right? They, didn't, they didn't specify that. It is one thing for Congress to authorize regulated sources to use trading to comply with a preset cap or a cap that must be based on some scientific objective criteria. It is quite another to simply authorize the EPA to set the cap itself wherever the agency sees fit. Uh, All righty, so Ilya Shapiro, he is the director of constitutional studies at the Manhattan Institute, author of uh, the book Supreme Disorder, and uh, I believe he was the guy that was uh, targeted for cancellation at Georgetown Law, if I remember correctly. Anyway, Uh, He pointed out that this case, West Virginia versus EPA, the court has taken a real step to check not only the EPA, but all administrative agencies. The Clean Air Act technicalities are less important than the court's refusal to simply go along with an executive agency's assumption of power. Exactly. I'm not going to get into the weeds on what the, the specific rules were. The larger issue is that Congress needs to do its job and the executive branch doesn't get empowered to do Congress's job simply because Congress doesn't want to do it. Because as I started to say earlier, um, a lot of members of Congress realize that they don't actually have to do any work. They can just go up there, make floor speeches, send out the viral videos and such, go on to the TV shows, do the interviews and never actually legislate. 
never actually get anything done. And then they just offload all of those duties to the executive branch. And then that gives them something to rail against whenever the executive branch does something that they don't like. That goes both ways, right? Let me go back to Ed Morrissey's piece at hotair.com. He says, listen to this. This should ring a bell. Neil Gorsuch, he writes in a concurrence, okay, that inaction by Congress is no excuse for agencies to violate the authority it grants. Gorsuch rebukes a certain president. Here's what he wrote, quote, when Congress seems slow to solve problems, it may be only natural that those in the executive branch might seek to take matters into their own hands. But the Constitution does not authorize agencies to use pen and phone regulations. Oh, my. That is, yeah, that's the famous quote from Barack Obama when asked how he's going to get anything done with a Republican-led Congress. And he said, I got a pen, I got a phone. Remember that? That's not how you legislate. That's not the constitutional mechanism. It's not the norm. It's not the order. And so, no, the Constitution does not authorize agencies to use pen and phone regulations as substitutes for laws passed by the people's representatives. In our republic, it is, quote, the peculiar province of the legislature to prescribe general rules for the government of society. Because today's decision helps safeguard that foundational constitutional promise, I am pleased to concur. Ed Morrissey says if the court firms this approach up with further precedent, it's going to force Congress to legislate responsibly and allow for accountability for those policies and their outcomes, which is what Congress uses agencies to prevent, of course. Now, there's another part. Have you heard of the case Chevron? The Chevron deference or the Chevron standard. Going back to the piece at Politico that I had, you know, pulled for show prep like two weeks ago. No, I'm not bitter. Um, There is a reason this case, these cases got left to the end of the term. Typically when the court drops its most newsworthy decisions, they all have a bearing on the basic responsibilities of the government in Washington. How much latitude do federal agents or agencies rather have how much latitude do they have to interpret and then enforce the laws that Congress passes? You remember the Obamacare legislation? I'm trying to remember the exact number, but it was a ridiculously high number, something like 10,000 times in that law where it stated the health and human services secretary shall do something right in, in, in this language essentially gave the lawmaking powers to HHS, to the secretary, at the time Kathleen Sebelius, right? Back to Politico. Whenever the Supreme Court undercuts an issue at the national level, as it did by weakening voting rights in 2013, the warfare shifts to the states. If the court significantly rolls this federal authority back, and there are signals it will, The implications could start to shift the entire locus of American power and the country will be dealing with the fallout for years. Again, yes, please. Yes, please. Shift the locus of power back to the states. Look, if you don't like politics, 
first off, like, why are you listening to this show? Right. No, but secondly, more importantly, if you don't like politics, you should be for limited government. Limiting government reduces politics, reduces political influence, reduces the uh, the need for politics to be at the center of our daily lives. You don't have to worry about so many of these things if you limit the size and scope of government. That's why I am an advocate for it. See, I'm trying to put myself out of work. Well, no, I wouldn't be out of work. Okay, right. I would just do a lot more topics like mayo being the superior uh, condiment. I would do more topics like that. Congratulations, Lacey from Mint Vegas. Mint Hill. Lacey from Mint Hill. She won the four-pack of tickets. You, uh, you still can get some tickets. Go to WBT.com for the WBT Sky Show, sponsored by Audi Charlotte. It's going to be on July 4th. It's at Knight Stadium, Truist Field, uh, Uptown, and uh, on Monday, July 4th, obviously. And uh, we, we watch the baseball game. We do the flag ceremony, which, by the way, we have everybody that we need for the flag ceremony. Thank you, everyone. Um, and then after the f- uh, flag ceremony, then uh, then we uh, you know celebrate the birth of our nation by uh, blowing up a small piece of it. So that's just an old Simpsons reference. Okay, uh, WBT.com. It's got all of the details. A great deal of Washington's power rests on a fact that you don't learn in civics, in school, which I know is going to surprise everybody because, like, considering where we are in America, it's quite obvious, like, we all know a lot about civics. Politico's David Bernstein, or Bernstein, Bernstein, um, he points out that when Congress passes new laws, Those laws are filled with instructions that can be vague or debatable or even self-contradictory. Laws need to be reapplied to new circumstances over time. It's sort of a living, breathing law, if you will. So who gets to do that? Well, for decades, courts have generally allowed federal agencies to make those calls. A policy made explicit in the 1984 decision of Chevron v. National Resources Defense Council. That case also involved the Clean Air Act, with the ambiguous phrase at issue being stationary sources of air pollution. A stationary source of air pollution. The Democratic administration of Jimmy Carter had interpreted that expansively, probably to include things that were not stationary at all, right? And probably not sources. Anyway, Ronald Reagan's administration later redefined the term more narrowly. So environmental activists, or as he calls them, advocates asked the courts to not let them you notice the soft peddling no they sued they sued because they the reagan administration had a different definition they said uh no we're going to go with what we think stationary sources means and so they limited the scope of it so the activists sued and under the chevron decision under the reasoning courts should generally defer to federal agencies. In that instance, Reagan's EPA. The court should defer to the federal agencies when they're determining if a regulation is warranted under that agency's statutory authority. 
Now, unless the answer is clearly no, courts should assume that the agency knows its business better than what conservatives used to call unelected activist judges. This is, again, in Politico. So that's why you're hearing the bias language, right? Okay. Uh, Since then, this principle has become known as the Chevron standard or Chevron defense. Um, I would point out also here that the Chevron defense or standard was not mentioned in any Supreme Court decision, apparently, this term. And that is very, very unusual. Very unusual. Because Chevron has been used to justify all manner of abuses. So the standard was, look, this is the agency. They got the statutory approval. It's within their scope. They're better able to, uh, uh, to you know, work in their field. They know it's business better than the courts. And in fact, uh, Kagan, let me see here. Let me find the, Kagan, Kagan, Kagan. There it is. Justice Kagan, this is what she wrote. Members of Congress often don't know enough to regulate sensibly on an issue. Okay, so the people that we sent there to write the laws don't know what they're doing, so we're going to kick it over to the federal bureaucracy. She says, of course, members can and do provide overall direction, but they rely, as all of us rely in our daily lives, on people with greater expertise and experience. Those people are found in agencies. (laughs) Full-throated defense of the bureaucracy. Okay. Uh... Congress looks to them to make specific judgments about how to achieve its more general objectives, and it does so especially, though by no means exclusively, when an issue has a scientific or technical dimension. Why wouldn't Congress instruct the EPA to select the best system of emission reduction rather than try to choose that system itself? Well, I got to here's an idea. Maybe bring the agency experts in to, you know, some Committee meetings? Oh, I know this would be crazy. But actually have committee meetings where you ask questions and you kind of formulate policy and uh, you get the expert advice and stuff. And then you can kind of craft the legislation with the assistance of the experts, right? Yeah? You see where I'm going with this? I know. I'm like pioneering a whole new mechanism in government, I'm sure. And then she says, members of Congress often can't know enough to keep regulatory schemes working across time. That sounds like she's not exactly on board with that whole democracy thing, huh? She's a threat to the democracy. We're not hearing any of those criticisms. I I wonder why.